The following is a sermon from the church at Cherrydale in Greenville, South Carolina. To learn more, visit us at tccherrydale.com. Hey, so, well, good morning, everyone. Um, this is the first time I've used the, the, uh, the, what is this, tabletop thing. I'm used to a, an actual podium. So forgive me if I look awkward. Some of that's just me, some of that's this thing. <laughs> okay, all right, so it's a little bit of both. But um, really good opportune mission moment this morning because caring for the least of these, I think it ties in really well with the theme that we have as pastors and as a church this year for TCC is we want to be about loving our neighbors. And what, a, what a great opportunity, right? So we want to love our neighbors. That's what we're all about. In the last several weeks, um, we've been in a series called The Scattered Church. And the first week, Matt taught on goers. Last week, he talked about sowers. And this week, we're going to talk about trainers. Next week, will be senders. But this week, uh, talking about trainers, loving our neighbors, uh, we just specifically want to say, okay, what does that look like? What is a trainer? What do they do? Right? And where does it start? Where does training start? So first and foremost, Merriam-Webster Dictionary says a trainer, simple enough, is one that... that trains, right? Or a person that teaches or coaches. By default, one who imparts knowledge or demonstrates a skill, even. Uh, Someone who directs or redirects and sets folks up for success. So in my mind, first and foremost, I want to try to highlight the idea of a teacher or a coach, because I'm I'm a sports guy by default, played a lot of that growing up, been mentored by many, but also teachers have been a super influential uh, impact on me, okay? And so think of that in your mind. So maybe a teacher or a coach, maybe a family member that has impacted you tremendously. Think about it as we start this week that what are the traits of a trainer and what does that look like? And if it helps you say, what are the traits of a teacher? What are the traits of a, of a coach, okay? What does that look like? So I want to start with this, and I'm probably going to show my age a couple times here with some of the stuff that I refer to, and I find that I do that more and more the older I get. But, I'm going to ask for participation in a moment, just by show of hand, but see if this was familiar to anyone, particularly the men in the room. I remember growing up, learning about this, second grade is the first exposure I had to it. As a royal ambassador, I would do my best, right, to become a well-informed, responsible follower of Christ, to have a Christ-like concern for all people, to learn how to carry the message of Christ around the world, to work with others in sharing Christ, and to keep my mind and body, or excuse me, <laughs> to keep myself clean and healthy in mind and body. Anybody ever heard that before? You are royal ambassadors. How about that? We got some RAs in the room. I don't know about GAs. I don't, I don't know that one. By default, I shouldn't have been in there anyways, <laughs> right? But all right, so we're, we're ambassadors for Christ. Now, just by little trivia. Does anyone know where that verse, what verse is used for that pledge? Where they get it from? And there's one that we used last week that Matt used in his sermon. See if we can get it as I, as I read it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ... God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, 
And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. And here's the explicit push. Verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. Familiar passage for most of us, but that's specifically where that pledge came from. It's taken from that to send us out to go because we are agents, we are ambassadors for Christ. That's what we're called to do. And I just think it's pretty amazing. I was walking through this preparing. I was thinking, I still remember that. I'm going to turn 40 this year. I was seven when I first heard that. Seven years old, and it still rings true. Pretty awesome. Very simple. But learned it, still there. And guess what? My second grade Sunday school teacher, Mr. Chandler, taught me that. It just so happened that year, his wife, Miss Chandler, was my second grade teacher. But Mr. Chandler invested in me. And I still remember him teaching me about who Jesus was and helping me understand how I could gain a greater understanding of what, what Jesus is doing in the world and how I get to participate in that. Right? I mean, it's awesome that we get to see what Jesus is about and to share the truth that Jesus is the way the truth and the life. Seven years old. Right? Then, first exposure. Now, God didn't save me until many years later. I was a ninth grader at a youth event when God saved me. But, let's be honest, that faithful seed sowing of Mr. Chandler was huge. Amen. Tremendous. Tremendous. The impact of his investment in time, taken with me, and sowing that seed... God faithfully watered over the years with many more of Mr. Chandler's in my life. I can think of elementary teachers. I'm a softie. I can think of teachers, coaches that, that came alongside me. Many, many of my teachers happened to be members of our church. Um, but it took the time, subsequent investments in me, and honestly, let's see. I'm the product of a faithful, obedient group of men and women that took their responsibility for and their ownership of their role in God's mission seriously. And that's, that's a good thing. And so we're about loving our neighbors, and we want to take that seriously. We want to invest, and we want to take the opportunity to invest. And we have many opportunities. And so as we investigate the text that Ella just read a moment ago, I want you to see if we pick up some of these traits as we walk through. And I'm going to bounce around a little bit, mostly in Mark. Um, I wanted to anchor the things in Mark as best I could. So I think Mark does a really good job of demonstrating these traits of who Jesus is and what he's done and how we can be trainers. And so we're going to start with that perfect example of a trainer in Jesus. Mark 1, verse 14. We're going to start reading. After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As he passed alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in the boat, putting their nets in order. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now, notice this first, this first trait of a trainer. All right, this is really cool for me because I, I was thinking of this is Mr. Chandler. They're compelled to initiate a relationship and share what they know. They're, they're compelled to initiate and to share. You think of a teacher or a coach, 
why do they do it? They want to make things better. They want to pass along knowledge. So they invest, they initiate, and they share. Notice Jesus, not necessarily in that order, but notice that Jesus initiates with a proclamation. He's sharing the good news of the gospel. And then secondly, as he's going along, just happens as he's walking along the sea, he calls the first disciples. Simple. Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And they follow him. First step is, follow me. Initiate. So, come on. So, when does training start? Does it only start when we become believers? Is that when we initiate? No. These folks, as far as we know, they're mending their nets. And Jesus says, follow me, and they follow. So, there's ways that we can invest even pre-conversion. I was not a believer when Mr. Chandler first taught me the Royal Ambassador Pledge. We were going to church. My sister was a was a youth, and we got involved. I remember my mom taking us. I didn't want to go. I didn't want to be there. I'm playing ball. I'm doing all these other things. I didn't want to be there. But we went, and I remember him taking the time, and we walked through, and I started learning these things, hearing about who Jesus was. And again, it wasn't the immediate impact that we see right here. We didn't see the immediately they left their nets, right? I still had to process, and some of these touch points along the way. But God did work, and He used those. He used them tremendously. Now, again, it doesn't mean that we're going to have the initial receptivity to the gospel. It can happen, but chances are it's going to take more than one touch. Or maybe it's not necessarily our touch. Maybe it's the touch of a couple others, right? But we initiate, and we share. The idea here is, regardless of whether there's a positive or potentially negative response, Jesus initiated and extended the invitation. We've got to initiate and extend the invitation. It's what God's called us to do. It doesn't matter that they slam the door on you or walk away or maybe hang around over coffee and discuss it a little more. It can be any or all of those, and that's okay. It's perfectly okay. God has called us to extend the invitation, and we must do it. Go along a little further in Mark chapter 3, verse 13. It says, Jesus went up on the mountain and summoned those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed the twelve, whom he also named apostles, apostles, to be with him, to send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Notice this second thing. He, he gathers folks to him, and he invests in their lives. Notice here, he goes up on the mountain. Where does, what is, in most times we see in Scripture, what is he doing on the mountain? He's typically going to pray alone. But notice in this case, he brings them with him. He's going to send them out. He's going to invest in their lives, teach them so that in order to extend the mission. And he's going to send them out. He goes up on the mountain. He wants to be with them and enjoy that fellowship to extend the mission, to preach and have authority. This investment is necessary. So now we are likely talking post-conversion. So now they're believers. Now, now guess what? Growing up in Southern Baptist Church, let's get them saved, let's get them baptized, and man, good luck. Yeah, you want to teach a class? You want to teach Sunday school class? Are we equipped when we initially become? Typically not. There aren't many Pauls in here where God has extended and revealed Himself, and He goes and He's... But He still had to go and learn before He got on His preaching, right? So we've got to come alongside and invest. So what does that mean we've got to do? We've got to pour ourselves out a little bit 
into the lives of others. And that's what we're trying to do here. It's what God's called us to do. The investment is necessary. For instance, for teachers in the room, or really all of you that have been in school, we go to meet the teacher every year. It's just this thing, I want to know who my te- who's teaching my kids. But we can't just go and see their teacher. And raise your hand if you can familiarize yourself with this, but we've got to go see all their teachers that have ever taught them anything, kindergarten and up. So with, you know, with Ella being in eighth grade now, we, we've gone back to see quite a few teachers. And that little 20-minute go meet the teacher turns into about an hour and a half, two hours now, because you got, Ella's got to go see all her teachers. Sophie's got to go see all her teachers. Now Evie's getting in on the train. We've got to go see all her teachers. Why is that important? Because they recognize the investment those teachers made. And they recognize how much those teachers cared for them. I can think of teachers that I went to school, and I remember in particular Miss Benton was my 11th grade AP history teacher. And the only time, it was a new, it's the first time they had offered AP history at my school at the time, and the only time we could fit it in was 7.30 every morning. We did block schedule, hour and a half, but because of this particular class, it was only an hour, but it was 7.30 every day for a year. Now, I know you're probably thinking, 7.30 in the morning for history? <laughs> right? I, I happened to like history, but she was amazing. I remember she would challenge us. We'd come in there, and I, I know we were probably dragging in, tired, whatever, and she's like, okay, we're going to stop for a minute. I want everybody to just stand up. Now, we're going to do this exercise. I want y'all to try to touch the ceiling. Now, 17-year-old punk kid. Okay, this is great, Miss Benton. And she goes, now stop. So we're going to start over. I mean, try to really touch it. Try to literally reach the ceiling. So every hand goes up at this point. She's like, all, as far as you can reach. She said, now, third time we're going to try this. With exception of you cannot stand on a desk, touch the ceiling. Who can touch the ceiling the most to win a prize in this class? Right? Immediately, we're jumping on chairs now because we might get some, I don't know if it's candy or what she was going to offer. But we're on chairs trying to literally touch the ceiling. And she said, why didn't you do that the first time? Why didn't you try to do your best the first time? Why not extend and go your, give full effort to something that you're passionate about the first time? So why aren't we pushing ourselves and challenging? Why we want to raise the, the temperature of evangelism? We want to push ourselves. It is uncomfortable in many respects, but it's, it's a worthy cause. It's a worthy mission. So why aren't we doing our best? Let's push ourselves to do the best. The idea here, we've got to desire that fellowship and the investment of disciples and living with them so that they can extend the mission. We've got to invest in others. And not just in some things here where on Sundays. That's, that's during the week, right? It's everything you think, say, and do. It's every opportunity to interact is an opportunity to make much of Christ. So I've been in, uh, some of you know, I, I used to work with SCDOT and for 16 years. Now I'm on the consultant side, and it's, I've been kind of given this new, uh, I say, uh, assignment. But it's client management. I didn't know really what client management was. And then I started learning about it the last year, and I'm starting to pick. How, how good of a consultant would I be if I didn't make new clients or at least serve them well? Right? 
How am I going to know about my neighbor's needs if I don't talk with them? How am I going to know about that client? Does that make sense? So if I'm going to say, hey, client, what, what do you need? How can I come alongside you and serve you and make you pick me to serve you? Well, I can't do that and go down a checklist. Well, I'll call them one week and I'll wait a couple weeks and call me. No, I've got to go and get to know them. I've got to go hang out. It's, you're, you're building relationships. It's just like my neighbor's. I gotta know who they are. We were, I'm convicted of this. We had a neighbor across the street. We used to see this lady, she'd come out with her two golden retrievers and we'd talk some and then her husband would somehow, sometimes come out and then every, then all of a sudden, like we, we didn't see her, we saw her kids, older kids that have come back working out in the yard. Well, next thing we know, they've sold that house. They've gone, come to find out, it is January the 27th. The old man passed away in May. We had no idea. Oh me, oh my, right? Why didn't I know that? I probably should have known that. They were right across the street. But yet we, we don't do it. So we've got to encourage us. We want to push to encourage you guys and all of us together to invest, to get to know our neighbors. Picking up in chapter 4, verse 33. Jesus, with his disciples in verse 33, said he was speaking the word to them with many parables like these as they were able to understand. He did not speak to them without a parable. Privately, he explained everything to his own disciples. Now this is tremendous. This is gold, right? So this is on the heels of the parable of the sower. Matt spoke about this last week, how Jesus taught in parables and how he gave them the mystery of the kingdom to, the, to his disciples. But here, they still don't quite understand it. He had to explain it to them. Right? We, we, don't have to, we don't have to know everything to explain what God's done to us or done for us. We don't have to know it all. But we do, it does help to have an opportunity to instruct. So folks that are new in the faith, we need to come alongside them and help teach them to invest in them. Hey, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow after Him. I'm not perfect. I'm, I'm busted and broken just like you. We'll make mistakes, but thank goodness for God's grace. That's a teaching opportunity because you're going to blow it. But that's a teaching opportunity. See, most of us feel, you know, that have grown up in the church or anything fundamental or whatever you want to call it, but we feel like, oh, man, God can't love me. I've blown it. No, no, God can love you. His grace is more. Hugh just spoke about it to our parents. We have blown it, but God's grace is more. It's a great teaching opportunity in saying, hey, instead of running from God when you blow it, how about running to him? Every opportunity when you blow it to run to Him is an opportunity to grow in fellowship with Him. That's a good thing. It's not this thing to be shied away from. Run to Him. God's called us to do that. It's a teaching opportunity. But notice Jesus demonstrates graciousness and patience. He, he explains everything because there's a couple times He's like, you guys still don't understand? Are your hearts hardened? You still don't get it? But yet then He, on the flip side, walks them through it. And that's okay. It's what we need to do. It's what God has called us to do. If there's anything critical, we've got to be willing to take time to instruct. To help explain as best we can the why behind the what and the how. As best we can. I'm no expert. Maybe I can get you to point A. And maybe you need, you need Hugh to take you to point D. Or maybe you need your small group leader. Or maybe you just need someone who's walking in faith with you to help take you to that next level. Right? I don't, we don't have all the answers, and that's okay. We're going to learn together and grow together. 
It's a teaching opportunity. So it's kind of like, so our uh, small group yesterday, the Moody group, came and supported uh, my 11-year-old Sophie playing upward basketball yesterday. I got a love-hate with upward. Love-hate relationship. There are so many good things, but then it's just the nitty-gritty of what you can and can't do in the games and just being competitive. It drives me crazy. It just drives me crazy. But here's the, here's what, here's the beauty of upward. And we make fun of it, say everybody's a winner. No, there's no. The kids know. Kids know who wins and loses. So you ain't got to worry about it. You have to say, they're going to grow up want a participation trophy. No, no, they know who won and lost. They can count. Most of them can count baskets, right? But the thing that I love, the beauty of it is, so we, we get these kids. I've either assisted or coached my daughters for several years. I've had an opportunity to coach some different things. But So you have like 11-week season, eight games. So you got three practices leading up to. But every time you practice, you have an hour, but you got to take 10, 15 minutes every week to teach gospel. I mean, it's a great opportunity for folks who, who don't go to church, <laughs> right? I mean, it's a great opportunity. I may not be good at it, but it, it gives me, like, the readout. I can, like, today we're going to learn about joyfulness. I can teach about joyfulness. I've been joyful. And Lord, here's why I have the source of joyfulness in my life, right? You don't, it gives it to you, and you read it to them, and they're circled up with you, and you pray together. And I don't have percentages, but I know that those kids have come to faith through the faithful investment of coaches, referees, all those things. But here's the other thing. That's just, so that you really only have about 40 minutes to teach basketball, which, again, is good. You don't have an opportunity to do everything. But then at halftime during games, someone does a testimony. So guess who will get the impact then? Parents. Folks that are far from the Lord, possibly. That their kids are playing basketball because they thought it would be a good thing for them to do, to learn the game of basketball. It's awesome. They get someone to volunteer to come and spend five minutes giving a, t- a personal testimony during halftime. And then the, ne- the game concludes. So, that's, so yesterday they started at 8.30. I think they finished at 4 where we play. That's a lot of basketball games. That's a lot of opportunities to share. That's a lot of people to share. Because guess who's going to come watch Sophie play outside of my small group? Our, our family. The kids' families, maybe their extended family. I mean, it's, it's a great opportunity. So I do have this love-hate, but more love than hate. Because it's really good. If, you're, if, it's, if you do it like this, it's, it's really good. So it's just an opportunity that we have, the, we have to extend God's mission. To share the faith message. And so it's a great opportunity. And so I want to I highlight it because I'm not, I'm not calling for it here. I'm not asking us to do upward. Brandon, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. We do a basketball camp that does it. It's good. It's good. Because it takes a lot. It takes a village, right, to do something like that. But it, go with me on that. The, the idea behind it is fantastic. Yes, we want them to learn basketball, but we want them to know Jesus. So winning and losing, that's, that's the side where everybody's a winner comes into play. Because it ain't about winning and losing. It's about learning Jesus. The emphasis of that league is to teach Jesus. So here's the, here's the parallel for us. This mission God has called us to, we are all winners. We can't lose. 
We share the message. We sow the seed. Someone comes along and waters it. Guess what? We don't lose. You want to win-win? It's Jesus and His mission. Something you can give your life to. Because guess what? There's no failure there. You can't bumble on, oh, I don't know the right thing to say. That's okay. The fact is, you planted a seed. God can use that. And He will use that. He's faithful. So that's the benefit of it. We cannot lose at this great mission He's called us to. So let's pick up in Mark chapter 6. And Matt used this week one, I believe it was, about being goers. But I want to read this application. So verse 12 says, So they went out and preached that people should repent. Who is this? The disciples. He sends them out. They preach that people should repent. They drove out many demons, anointed many sick people with oil, and healed them. So fast forward a little bit. Look at verse 30 on the return. This is the return investment. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. So here's what's cool about this. Yes, we celebrate when someone comes to faith in the Lord. But man, we ought to celebrate when we're faithful to God's call. Man, we ought to be able to come back and say, hey, we did this, we knocked on this, and we talked to this many people. We told Jesus about the Lord, or, or maybe just during the week. I had, I had the opportunity to share the truth of Christ with folks this week. We ought to celebrate that. That is a celebratory thing. Because you can't lose. Right? We cannot lose. So, Let's do these things. Let's, let's take opportunity to celebrate those things that are worthy of celebration. Every opportunity you get to celebrate, you should celebrate. The great theologian Jason Hayward used to play for the Braves. I took that and stole it because I thought it was great because you always see these folks that say, well, we're not going to celebrate yet. We haven't won the thing. We haven't made it yet. We're going to act like we've been here before. And I think there's, a, there is me, there's merit in that. But man, he's like, man, you've got to celebrate every chance you get to celebrate because you might not get to. What if you get to the end and it, that, that championship game and don't go your way? Then, then you never celebrate it. You never celebrate it. Let's celebrate the opportunities that we have. Let's do that. Now, this doesn't imply that we celebrate those opportunities and think, oh wait, so the disciples must have got it right all the time. Right? They must have totally done it. They must have been celebrating like crazy. Well, we, we know that we're not always quote-unquote successful or maybe we feel like we blew it or Maybe we do some things that we just blow it, right? There's opportunities. But guess what? As I told you earlier, those are opportunities for growth. To grow and expand our knowledge of who Jesus is and what he's done. Mark chapter 9. How about when the disciples couldn't cast out the demon out of the boy? Why couldn't we do that? Jesus comes along and says, well, well you, this only comes out by prayer and fasting. You got, you got to up that, we got to up that fellowship with Jesus a little bit more. That's okay too. We got to know to pray more. We've got to know to get bowed before the Lord a little more. There's nothing wrong, in, nothing wrong with that. Or how about a few verses later in Mark 9? How about they start arguing about who's the greatest? We would never do that, right? Place value on ourselves above others. But that's exactly what they're doing. Wait, so didn't they just come back doing these remarkable things? Absolutely. And guess what? We're still dealing with it. That's okay because we're not perfect once you become a believer. You, God justifies you, but you're still being sanctified. So that's a good thing that God continually... And guess what? He still teaches them. He takes the time to sit them down. What were you guys arguing about? Like, they had, he just knew already. Who are we dealing with if this guy already knows what we're talking about? Or a few verses later, Mark 9, that's 38 through 41. They see someone else driving out demons in Jesus' name, and they try to stop him. 
Jesus, we saw this other guy who's not one of us. And we, start, we tried to stop him. We tried our best. And he's like, what's Jesus' response? Well, don't stop him. I mean, whoever's not against us is for us. So the means and the methods were not always the same, and that's okay. We have much more in common with folks than we think. So it's okay that they're not one of us. It's okay if someone outside of TCC, maybe one of our sister churches, is extending the mission. We ought to celebrate that and come alongside them and help them do it more. Okay, so there's an opportunity there. It's not a bad thing when someone else is doing it. They're not, they're a force, they're not against us. So that, that last trait that I see of a trainer or a coach, teacher, is they give them opportunities to apply what they've learned. So they raise them up, they send them out, then you celebrate, but they give them more and more opportunities to participate in the mission. Jesus believes in application, and so do we. And we should, as a body, we should believe in that, to continue teaching. And here's the thing, you never stop learning. That's the beauty of the gospel. I don't know this book 100%. still learning. I won't be made right perfect until he comes or calls me home. So there's a lot to learn, and we're to continue. But here's the idea. I mean, we've got to, it's a critical point. We've got to apply the lessons. Anyone ever heard of practice makes perfect? Right? Practice makes perfect. Anybody believe that? I'm not so sure practice makes perfect. I know a lot of folks that probably play a lot of ball and do a lot of the same things, but they're, not, they're still not perfect. We can watch ball games. You can watch championship games, and games are typically won or lost by what? A simple, fundamental mistake. They didn't hit the cutoff man. They didn't, pass the, they didn't hit that pass. They didn't defend that guy. Little things. It's typically little things that we've practiced over and over and over and over again. How many pitches do you think a great pitcher has thrown before he gets in a game environment? Thousands. But he can still leave that pitch where he didn't want it. And they will, let him, they will remind him that it was a bad pitch because it's going to be tattooed somewhere over the fence. Mistakes. Practice does not necessarily make perfect, but here's what it does do. It helps make it permanent. So we want to be about going and loving our neighbors. You've got to practice. You want to be about uh, evangelizing, telling people about Jesus. You've got to practice. Because repetition is how we learn, and repetition is how you practice. And so the more you do it, the more it becomes second nature. So most of us in here will be like, I'm just not good at it. I don't know that I can do it. It's not for me or whatever. Maybe, or maybe you just need to put it into practice a little bit more. Maybe. Or maybe you can take someone with you and both can do it together, but continue. It's, a, it's, it's Pete and repeat. You've got to keep doing it. So don't give up on it. Continue. And again, you say, well, I don't know what to say. You can tell them about Jesus, what, what he's done for you, and keep going. So it's critical. So couple things of, of review this morning I want to kind of hit on and try to highlight some things and hopefully encourage us as a body to loving our neighbors. So first and foremost, as we hit on this morning, we are ambassadors for Christ. We've got this call on us that God's given us, and we've got to go tell people, be reconciled to God. They can't do it if they don't hear it. Matt hit on this before, Romans 10, 14 through 17. How, how can they hear on whom they've never heard? And how can they hear unless someone preaches, right? So how can you come to faith if you don't hear it? 
God has made it such that we have to be His vessel and proclaim. To be compelled to share as a trainer. We've got to go. We've got to take the initiative to proclaim the good news. Secondly, we, when folks have become converted or when folks are coming alongside us, we've we got to call others to be transformed to be more like Christ. So what is, what is the purpose of the disciple? It's to become like the Master. Right? So Jesus calls this 12 to Him. He teaches them and shows them. And what's the expectation? For them to follow Him and become like Him. Isn't it amazing? God took 12 men, random dudes, random guys, fishermen, tax collector, most of them of no consequence other, other than Him calling them. And He changed the world. Amazing. Some of us might think, well, my little thing that ain't going to matter. Seven years old in second grade, Mr. Chandler mattered. Again, I'm the product of that faithful seed. Not perfect, still learning. But I wouldn't be where I am today had he not initiated that. That's the truth. So continue. A little bit counts. A little bit counts. We must invest in the lives of others by enjoying and displaying Christ in everything that we do. Otherwise, life's wasted. If we're not taking this call seriously and if we're not coming alongside and loving our neighbors well and extending the mission of Christ to tell the gospel and to tell others, then it's wasted. It's great. I might have accomplished all these great things. But if I hadn't been a part of God's mission, then, it's, then if I'm not using every avenue I have for His glory, living for His glory, then it's wasted. We're missing opportunities. Every opportunity, as I mentioned, with client management, here's the deal. Every opportunity, it can be a negative opportunity. I want to be proactive if it's negative. And extend and say, hey, here's what we did and here's how we're going to fix it. But every opportunity is to build on that relationship, right? So every opportunity, maybe you've had a run-in with your neighbor, whatever. Hey, hey man, I blew it. I'm really sorry about that thing. Will you forgive me? That may blow them away. It likely will. It will probably blow them away that you took the time to say, you know what, I blew it, I'm sorry, forgive me. How can we make this right? Take the opportunity to interact, to invest. It's worth it. It's totally worth it. They may shun you and turn you off, but guess what? That seed was planted. And don't think that God can't use that, because He can, and He will. And then thirdly, we're designed for fellowship. And the Christian life, oddly enough, is such that one's progress in the faith typically comes through imitating other Christians. Now that can be, that may feel weighty, and it should, but guess what? Folks are looking around, they're trying to, you, you likely, whether you know it or not, have folks watching and following you, keeping an eye on what you do. So keep that in mind. We, we typically do those things. As Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 9, Am I, although I'm free from all and not anyone's slave, I've made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. Jump down to 22 of that same chapter. To the weak I became weak in order to win the weak. I've become all things to all people so that I may be by every possible means save some. Now I do all this because of the gospel so that I may share in the blessings. Why is he doing it? For the gospel. So that he can save some. He becomes all things to all people. Now, there's a lot more in that passage, so don't just take that. But understand the fact that, yes, there are opportunities to engage in different ways. And let's try to take advantage of those opportunities. To, to leverage those opportunities that we have on a day-to-day -day basis to extend the mission of God. 
We have an opportunity. We've got to be willing. Here's the deal. Here's what Paul did. Paul was willing to take the time to do it. And he gave of his very life to demonstrate the gospel. We need to do that for the sake of Christ because it's necessary. And then finally, we're to, how long are we supposed to do this? Until he returns. We don't get to press pause. We don't get to stop. God's called us to this mission until he comes. Philippians 4, Paul's writing, says, verse 8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any more excellence and if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Verse 9, this is key. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Imitate me as I follow as I imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow him. That's exactly what Paul's doing here. Follow me as I follow Christ. It's a challenge for all of us here today. Let's follow after Christ. And oftentimes that means we're coming alongside someone to, to learn and to, to continue to grow and to be discipled, to be trained. We continue to need training. As I told you, this practice doesn't make you perfect, but it does make it permanent so that you can learn and extend to others. So now some of you this morning... I'm going to ask the band to go ahead and come back up and they can start playing. But here's the deal. Some of us in here this morning don't know this Jesus I've talked about that I keep referencing to. Well, here's the deal. If you're a small group leader, can you stand up real quick? I'll let you sit back down in a second. Got a couple in the balcony. So look around real quick. Now, you can go ahead and sit down. If you're a pastor at TCC, stand up. You can stay, Hugh and Brandon. Donnie's over here. Take a look. A couple of us are missing this morning. That's okay. We're fully capable. We can handle it. But if you have questions, y'all can go ahead and sit down. Thank you. But if you have any questions or want to know about this Jesus, we're happy to share. Any one of those folks. And it doesn't have... If you're, if you're a converted Christian, if you've been regenerated by Christ, that would be everybody, most everybody probably, but not everybody. So I'm not telling you not to stand up by any reason necessarily other than I want you to look around and say, hey, we got some work to do together. I want to come alongside these small group leaders. I want to come alongside these pastors. Let's get this thing done for the Lord. Let's follow after him. So some of you don't know the Lord. Seek some of these folks out. Seek them out. Ask questions. But for everyone else, here's the deal. I'm not, we're not asking you, you know, there's only one Jesus who is perfect. But he has called us to follow after him. So I'm not necessarily calling you to be a, one of the twelve. I'm not asking you to be Paul. I'm not doing that. But maybe you're the woman at the well. Or maybe you're the demon-possessed demon man in the tombs. Or maybe you're the blind man who recovered his sight from the Lord. Can, can you extend that to folks around you? So what did the woman at the well do? She went and told the town. What did the man who was demon-possessed, and people came to see him. He was clothed in his right mind. He wanted to follow after the Lord. Said, the Lord said, no, go and tell the people. That's exactly what he did. So go and tell people what God has done for you. The blind man said, hey, I don't know whether he's crazy or what he's doing, but you know what? I know this. I was blind, and now I see. So here's the deal. We're, we're challenging ourselves, and we're challenging you as a church to come alongside to say, you know, we've talked about this in core class a little bit, but you've got 15, 30 seconds. You got that time to say, hey, there, was, there once in a, was a time in my life when I was selfish, I sought only my way, you're blank to fill in. 
Secondly, but, but Jesus intervened. Jesus saved me and changed me. And now, gosh, he's given me a purpose. He's given me a mission. He's given me something to be a part of that was worthy of my life to tell others about him. Do you have a story like that? Very simple. May, may have taken me 30 seconds. Not perfect, but an opportunity. Would you take the, the opportunity? Would you accept the challenge to, to take his name to the nations? Let's pray together. God, you are good and gracious. And God, we have heard your word. And God, if you, I pray that each of the folks in this room today, if they have heard you speak to them, that they would obey, that they would do what you say. That, God, we would rally around one another, that we would support and encourage one another, that we would love our neighbors well and to serve them well, to, to make your name great. God, that we would be compelled to take your name to the nations, that we would take the time to invest, that we continue to grow and to share with others. And it's for your mission. It's for your name. In Jesus' name, amen.